Matt, thank you for leading us. I think that song is so descriptive even of this very moment. I'm just personally overwhelmed. The beauty of this day. Um, I have to tell you, I, I love you as a church and I love what the Lord is doing in the hearts and lives of many of you. Caitlin, thank you for singing and reminding us of God's grace. And what a reminder on that very subject to be overwhelmed with. Um, if you're looking for something to do this afternoon, it's a beautiful day for a kayak ride down uh, Pine Creek, 2 o'clock. We're looking forward to meeting now at the McCormick's. Um, a wonderful, wonderful day together to be in the Lord's house. Special welcome back to our Guatemala team, those of you that are represented. We are proud of you. We heard wonderful reports. Um, we prayed for you and we love you. We're looking this morning at a subject, two subjects in comparison. And I really think in all honesty, um, there's moments like this where we have to kind of examine how are we doing when it comes to how much courage do we have as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, or whether or not there are moments like all of us have experienced where we have failed, we have fallen, and we, in a sense, would fall more into the category of being a coward rather than a courageous follower of Jesus. And I think as we, um, as we dive into this text, I would ask that, that you, don't, you don't think of other people measuring you. In a sense, you don't even think of yourself measuring you. But you listen to the Holy Spirit. We look at the example that is given to us of what true courage looks like. And we allow the Holy Spirit to examine our own life. Um, we will focus today on Jesus. Um, a quick plug on home groups and the book of Hebrews. I can tell you, I preached about 10, 15 years ago through the book of Hebrews. And it was in that time that I got a better understanding really of who Christ was, who he is more than any other subject, any other study. And it is that important for us to learn this morning who Christ is. And we're able to do that by way of living lives alongside of one another. We'll get a glimpse of who Christ is and the courage that he displays and how we need to follow him and be as equally courageous with his strength and with his help. We need to pray first. I need the Lord's help this morning. So would you bow your heads with me and we'll commit our time uh, to the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, what you have done for us. We are so undeserving. Lord, that you know us, you created us, you see us, you loved us. You came to us, you rescued us from ourselves. Father, I thank you for your word that you speak to us every day. And right now, as we have a few moments, just set aside from the course of a very busy week. I would ask, Lord, that you would reveal yourself in the areas in our own heart, in our lives that we need to, to change and chisel away. Father, we have such an important task at hand. We have such an important message of the gospel to tell. And, and, and I, I fear, Lord, that 
in the community, in the time, the day you've called us to live in, that we are fearful, we're, we're, we're cowardly in some respect. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would reveal to us the message that you want us to hear. Father, may you please guard and guide me. May everything that is said and done be for your glory. Oh, how we love you. We ask you to bless this time. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. And amen. Okay, this whole life. Um, okay, I'm a Christian. I, I follow Christ. A lot of people would say that. This is really really difficult. I don't know if you've picked up on that or not, where we have, in a sense, we're called, um, we're called to be truth tellers at all costs. We don't ever move from the truth. And yet we're also called to balance that with love and with grace. You ever try to be a truth teller and balance that with love? That's really, really, really hard. We are called to be completely content with where we are, with who we are right here, we're to be content in this day, and yet we are also to long for eternity. How, how do you strike that balance there? We are called in some respects to trust God in everything and just rest and just breathe deep. And yet at the same way, we're also called to strive and to push and to work. And, and we're caught in this really hard, challenging life. We're called to, to care for those that are lost and dying in the world around us and to do the work of an evangelist. And yet we're also called to what? Go deep in our own personal walk and to, to, to lead and to love our own, our own families. How, how do we strike the balance? This is like really, really hard. Well, thankfully, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to us the perfect model. And I believe that not only by studying the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, but, but, but becoming experts in understanding the message and the truth of the gospel allows us to strike this balance of this is like really, really tough. We see this pressing weight. We have been in the Garden of Gethsemane the last couple of weeks, and we know that Jesus has felt the full weight of his father's wrath in the garden of Gethsemane. We read that there's this phrase where it describes what Jesus says, my soul is very sorrowful, even, even to death, distressed and troubled. He's in agony. He understands in a sense how tough this is. He knew full well everything that was going to come. He had predicted that, she, that, that Peter was going to fail him. He had predicted that the disciples were going to run. He had said repeatedly, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. And they crumbled, just like you and I. Watch and pray. And at times, you're just so weak. But we know that Jesus did pray. He did remain on his knees, pouring out his heart before what? His Abba, Father, asking, Lord, please remove this cup. But thankfully, he prayed in complete submission and obedience, just as you and I need to pray. Not what I want, but what you want. We live our entire life every single day. Lord, it's not what I want. It's what you want. We need to learn to pray like that. Last week, we looked at how Judas, the betrayer, had come with this, this mad mob, a crowd with swords and clubs. 
so-called religious leaders, their scribes and priests, and Judas, one of his own, leans in and identifies what Jesus with a kiss. The audacity of that, a snake kills with its mouth. That's Judas. We know that the disciples were sleeping. Peter was startled. He woke up and he grabs what? Peter, this often outspoken man, grabs this sword and starts swinging and lops off Malchus's ear. Jesus rebukes him. Peter, put your sword away. You don't, you don't try to save the Savior. I think we can do exactly the same thing. Lord, this is what you need to be doing. Peter was rebuked. Jesus said, let the scriptures be fulfilled. A reminder that every single detail is in God's perfect sovereign control. Every, every moment, every minute of your entire life is under God's complete control. We go to our text and you'll see this very brief kind of uh, verse 51, 52. It, it doesn't really fit anywhere. We don't even know why it's included. A young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. They seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Like, before we get into our text, you're kind of like, like, what's this about? We really don't know what this is about. Some people think that commentators have said a strange footnote at best. Some people think that this is probably, probably the author himself, John Mark. Remember, uh, Peter is telling the story to Mark, who's writing it down. And this is like some just embarrassing confession that he makes. We don't really know how to apply it other than what? Don't get caught. Or else, secondly, maybe Mark is saying perhaps you should wear a little bit more clothes than he was wearing. Just, just a reminder that says there's a human touch to all of this. There's a sense that we all... Fall short. Mark wants us to be reminded of that. Pick it up in verse 53 as we continue on with our text. And I read, and they led Jesus to the high priest. All the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent, speaking of Jesus, and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with 
blows. And as Peter was blowing the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Long text, as I said, but it breaks very easily into two sections. We see the courage of Jesus and we see the cowardice of Peter. Both come to light as both are given the opportunity to take a stand for their faith. Take a stand for what they believe. Just like you and I are regularly given opportunities to take a stand for your faith. How will you do? Number one, we look at the courage of Jesus as he is put on trial. The courage of Jesus as he is put on trial. Let me give to you the definition of courage. This is in a sense what Jesus exemplifies for us. Courage is defined as strength in the face of pain or grief. It's bravery, valor, fearlessness. It's nerve, daring, audacity. Courage is boldness. It's grit. Heroism, it's gallantry. Oh, how I would love to have those types of words to say that 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 man, oh, he is a courageous man. I will oftentimes use the term when I describe Sean Braun as a man that I would want to go to war with, a man of courage. And yet I think I saw him shed a tear when his daughter was singing this morning. We have this balance that is struck. Jesus is here. He's brought before the Sanhedrin, the the highest and certainly the most strict ruling court of the Jews. It's the middle of the night. This is not normally a time for a trial. And it says that they're seeking testimony from anyone that would lead them to the death penalty. The Pharisees have so desperately longed for Jesus to be dead. Apparently, it says that people are speaking up and they're speaking out against Jesus. And they're just like making up lies, making up accusations. It says many bore false witnesses, but their testimonies did not agree. They're just, they're just coming up with anything to say. On Judaism, like many other religions, the greatest, the worst crime, worst accusation would be blasphemy. And so they stuck this to Jesus, claiming that he was being blasphemous and quoting him that he would destroy the temple. Remember, his whole kingdom is different than what they were expecting. Upon hearing this, this blasphemous accusation, the high priest stood up, directly speaking to Jesus, says, do you have anything to say? Have you no answer to make? What's your defense? 
I love this description in verse 61, speaking of Jesus, but he remained silent and he made no answer. Now, if you recall, just last week, we talked about the fact that, that, that all of this was going to happen according to Scripture. Jesus said repeatedly, let the Scripture be fulfilled. Let the Scripture be fulfilled. When you have Jesus, in a sense, brought before the court, he's being tried. People are hurling accusations at him, and he says nothing Where does your mind go when it comes to other texts of Scripture, other messianic prophecies, but perhaps the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53? Very well known on this. And I quote, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Wait a minute, 600 plus years earlier, Isaiah writes, and he describes about the fact that Jesus is completely silent here. It says, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus knew there was no substantiated accusation that was made against him. Jesus is completely confident in the truth, so there is no need to respond. He's not going to argue. He's not going to cast his pearls before swine. No doubt the, the chief priests, no doubt all the scribes were frustrated by Jesus' silence. And so the, the chief priest, in a sense, he screams out, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? I love this response. The only words Jesus says, I am. I am, and you will see me. You'll see me sitting on the right hand. And he quotes, in a sense, Daniel chapter 7. He quotes Psalm chapter 110, verse 1. I am a reference to all of who Jesus is. I've been reading my quiet time, going carefully through the book of Exodus. And I was in Exodus in chapter 3 this week, when it talks about the fact that God is, is calling a man to a very bold Task. God is speaking to Moses to go back into Egypt and bring out the, the other Hebrews that are in slavery and bondage. And remember the burning bush. We know this story. We drew pictures of it in Sunday school and colored it, little orange crayons. And, and the voice comes out of the bush. The bush isn't burning. It's on fire, but it's not burning. And it says, take off your, your shoes, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. And, and, and he says, I have a job for you. And, and, and what, what is the response? Moses, who is lacking courage. He's terrified over this job description. Why don't you go back to the place that you got run out of? Okay, and I want you to go right back to Pharaoh, and I want you to take this 2.2 million people out. Kind of a big job. Moses is terrified. Moses says, who shall I tell them who sent me? And God says this. I love this in verse 14 of Exodus chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 3. God said, tell them I am has sent you. Isn't that interesting? Moses lacking courage. What do I tell them? You tell them that I am. Exact same word when Jesus was accused. Who are you? Who do you say that you are? Are you really? 
the Christ I am. Jesus reveals his identity that had so long been veiled that he is the Messiah. He's standing before these Jewish people who have been looking for the Messiah, but he is nothing like they, they expected. He's standing alone. He's been abandoned by his few followers. He's standing there in, 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 in their view, in their vantage point, kind of like powerless, helpless. Remember, his, his, his hands are chained or tied. They think what? They think that he's powerless. They do not know that there are more than 12 legion, 72,000 angels at his disposal. And Christ responds and says, yes, I am. The chief priest is furious. A sign of this fury and, and, and the, 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 the turmoil that he is. He literally begins to rip his clothes. He rents his clothes, tore his garments, and he cries out, in a sense, guilty. And with that, this so-called trial, this kangaroo trial, this mock trial, turns into a riot scene. People begin to spit and to hit, and they're mocking. For ones who choose to follow Christ, ones who choose to love Christ. You can't read this scene without aching at some level. I, I don't like to hear this. I don't like to read this. And yet I love the strength of it. In the middle of all of this, Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin, just as Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 says, what? as a faithful and true witness, just like you and I are to stand. Look how Jesus handles himself. Watch this and listen to this. Jesus knows the truth and he rests in the truth. He's not panicking like you and I do. He's not, he's not, he's not up sleepless nights worried about what's next. Jesus doesn't fight back. He doesn't argue. He doesn't protest. He doesn't pass petitions around to be signed. Jesus doesn't do any of those things. He doesn't try to, to sway or persuade or let's, let's work the crowd a little bit. Jesus doesn't do any of those things. He demonstrates fearless faith in the midst of harsh, hard opposition. Now, it's hard for you and I to even say, like, how, how I wrote in my notes, how do you do when you are accosted or attacked? Well, I've never really been accosted before. Like, how do you do personally when someone ridicules you or mocks you or makes fun of you? Or perhaps mocks or makes fun of your Savior? How, how do you do and respond in response to that? Read testimonies. Oh, there are hundreds, there are thousands of testimonies of people who are courageous at the key moment. Listening this week to a story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 39 years old, German theologian. And he, of course, was part of the assassination plot that was discovered against Hitler. And it was this cold, cold, wet, rainy, dark, gray day in April 1945, just two weeks before what Nazi Germany was ultimately defeated. And he was caught and he was hung. 
by way of treason, by way of his, his, his role in this assassination plot. And as, his, as he was being led up to the gallows, he says this, and I quote, this is the end for me, but the beginning of life. He has such confidence with, with what's next. He was actually hung in a, in, a, in a Nazi concentration camp, and there was a, a German doctor that was witnessing this, and he says this. He said that he had never seen a man die, quote, who was so submissive to the will of God. I wonder if that would be descriptive of you. We're, we're, we're to model, we're to follow Jesus' example. Not, not my will, but yours be done. What would you be described as one who is that courageous, regardless of how difficult? Sometimes we duck just because somebody calls us a Christian. We have to examine this. We see the courage of Jesus and we see it alongside of what? The cowardice of Peter as he is put through a test. Very quickly, going through this, this story, cowardice is a, is a trait where fear and excessive self-concern, isn't that interesting? Fear and excessive self-concern override doing or saying what is right, good, and help to others in a time of need. There's actually, in, in, in the military, years ago, they talked about cowardice as a crime that is punishable by death, where they actually got the phrase, shot at dawn, that was, that was derived because that's what they did to cowards who backed away in hour of need. In a moment, they need to stand strong. We'll get another glimpse of this scene, but it's from a, a different angle. Rather than in the courtroom where Jesus was, this is now in the courtyard where Peter, poor, poor Peter is standing. No doubt Peter loved Jesus, but yet when his love was put to the test, Oh, how he, how he failed the test. We know that it says that all of the disciples left him and fled. But in verse 54, it says, Peter followed him at a distance. Because Jesus is chained and drug away. In the distance, behind some of the trees, comes Peter. What was a very, very late evening has now turned into a very early morning. The rooster actually helps us with the time of the day here, if you picked up on that. It was cold outside. Jesus was being maligned and mistreated in the courtyard. And so in, in the courtroom, so below in the courtyard, because it's, it's, it's cold, Peter is warming himself by the fire. Peter wants to be close, but he doesn't want to be too close. Kind of like you and I at times. I mean, no, it's just, it's a little girl. 11 years old, 12, 13 year old, little girl. One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter says, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. It's dark out, there's a fire. So there's like flickering flames of, of light and, and it's hard to see. This little girl notices and recognizes Weren't you? First time, but he denied it, it says in verse 68. The little girl's not buying it. Oh, can't little ones be so, so persistent? 
She says it probably louder this time. No, this, this man was one of them. Really, everyone, gather, look. Second time, but he denied it. Verse 70. At this time, there are bystanders. There are others who are warming themselves around this fire. And they chime in and they claim, certainly, you are. You are one of them, for you are a Galilean. Now, we're not told why. Perhaps the dress was different. Perhaps the accent was just a little bit off. And and something gave way. Something gave him up. And this is now the third denial. It says he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. He gets more emphatic in his denial. I do not know this man of whom you speak. At that very moment, perhaps as the sun is just beginning to come up, the rooster crows. And at that sound, and you've been there before, visiting grandma's home and you you hear her cuckoo clock and 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 if you hear a cuckoo clock at any time any place it reminds you of grandma's same thing right here there's this sound and as the rooster crows everything becomes flooding back to his memory and it says he broke down and wept peter cries this is a grown man a strong man, and he is broken. The Gospel of Matthew says that he went out and he wept bitterly. So this is not just a tear streaming down. This is sobbing, and it's ache from deep within. It's interesting that the Gospel of, of Luke adds a significant detail In verse 61 and 62 of Luke 22, he says, And the Lord turned, and he looked at Peter. And Peter remembered, and he went out and wept bitterly. So perhaps as Jesus was being led from one place to another, that their eyes connected. Have you ever been there before? Where you know that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, and you realize, wow, I blew it. I had an opportunity to stand up, an opportunity like to really be bold. I had an opportunity to be courageous. Have you been there where you've denied and, and you've crumbled and you've wept? I have been there. I've hated those moments. Thankfully, we know the narrative The narrative of the story doesn't end here. Jesus is not done with Peter, just like, guess what? Jesus is not done with you. He's not done with me. We don't have the time to examine all, but we know after Jesus is put to death, he rises again, he meets, and, and he talks with Peter. What's interesting is that Matthew, Mark, or Luke do not record the events, the conversation, or the tone, but the Gospel of John does. And I would encourage you to read all of John chapter 21 later this afternoon. There's this conversation that takes place. There's this scene and this setting Even after the resurrection, Jesus disappears. Like, where is he gone? The disciples are somewhat confused. And so they're like, let's go back to Galilee. Let's go back to fishing. 
and they're on the Sea of Galilee and they're fishing and, and it's not going well for them at all. Just like we oftentimes kind of race out in our own lives. We have a plan and, and that plan like doesn't go real well for us. As they're near the bank, they hear someone, they see someone calling out to them. Hey, how's the fishing? How's it going with your little plan? The response is poor, bad, nothing. Why don't you try fishing on the other side of the boat? Like that's like the dumbest idea I've ever heard. If the fish aren't on this side, you think they're going to be on this side? I don't know a lot about fishing, but I don't think like four feet makes that much difference. And as soon as they cast the nets, there is a boatload. John is the one who says, it's him. Literally, he just says, it's recorded. It's him. And I think in all honesty, and I'm not exaggerating, one of the greatest scenes in all of scripture is our man, Peter. Listen to this. It says this in John chapter 21, verse 15. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments and he threw himself into the sea. Now think about this. Usually when you go for a swim, you're generally taking something off, not putting something on. Peter is so excited by this. He knows who that is. And he puts on his coat before he dives in because he just can't wait to be there. And there's this conversation that ensues. Three times Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Every single time being reminded of the fact that he had fallen. But yet Jesus has forgiven. By the time we get to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit fills, and Peter is the one, in a sense, commissioned to lead that entire team as they bring the gospel to the entire world. Peter's the man. You see, there's hope for us, although we have perhaps shaken, we've given up, there's hope for us very quickly. Our time is so quick. Number one, our personal weaknesses only need a little bit of pressure from temptation that can cause us to crumble. When there's areas that we're left unattended and there's weak areas, there's cracks, it doesn't usually take a lot of pressure. And that's what happened. In a sense, what Peter's faith was not secure. Weaknesses just need a little push, and that little push, he was willing to follow, but, but, but let's not get too close. I think that's like some of us. Yeah, yeah, I'm committed, but I don't, I don't really want to like commit all of my life. It's a weakness in our faith, and it won't take much pressure, and we crack. Second, remember, our verbal claims of commitment are not enough to prove our allegiance to Christ. There's people that shout, there's people that say stuff all the time, like, yeah, I'm in, I'm good, I'm there. Oh, let's, let's, let's be a church that doesn't just talk about our faithfulness. Let's be a church that walks it. Let's be a church that doesn't just, just claim huge successes. Let's be a church that lives out the gospel Every single day. 
Peter had said, oh, if I must die, I'm not going to deny you. And he crumbles. Thirdly and finally, we have to know of Christ's love and his willingness to forgive our failures. That what? That give us strength, that give us courage. We have to know that. We have to rest in the truth of the gospel, that it's not about how much you do or how much you know or how much you accomplish. It's by completely resting and trusting in the truth of the gospel, that we are sinners at best. And yet we have an amazing Savior who is willing to go to the cross and die and suffer on our behalf. And as he came to life again, so you and I can come and walk in a new, in a faithful, in a committed life as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We get a glimpse of, of amazing courage. We also get a glimpse of what just, just weak cowardice. May we trust the Holy Spirit to make us true followers of Jesus. I'm going to ask Matt to come. He's going to close us. And let me just remind you as well the importance. And I think it's going to be after we sing. But, but we have to know Christ. We have to know who he is. Um, and that time for home groups is so key. I'd encourage you to, to pray about time. Make sure that you, you, you commit to that, that we learn under um, the authority of God's word alongside of one another on how we can live to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ.